0: Amen. Hey, we're in Galatians 2, 15 through 21 this morning. If you want to begin to make your way there, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you should find one in the back of the pew in front of you. We would we'd love for you to take that home uh, with you, It'd be a gift from us to you. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, you can find a table of contents at the front. It's going to let you know where the different books are found. And then as we make our way through, the large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. And so when, you, when we think about Galatians two, in in, in this section in particular that Paul is going to walk through and he's going to address with us this morning. Now, remember, he's kind of been building on this narrative section, just going through, and this is how this worked, and this is I went and talked to him, and I engaged this person over here. But as he does this, there's this key, critical piece of theology that Paul is going to lay out, and all kind of centers under the idea of what it takes, what it means for us to be justified. And how these things are accomplished for us. And I was thinking about this and, and trying to understand really how this works and what's the intersection of our lives. And I remembered a study that, that I observed a number of years ago. And in this study, what they did was they gave men and women these inversion goggles to wear. And so you put these goggles on, you have these glasses, and it flips up and down. So everything I see right now normally that is on the floor is on the sky. And everything I see normally that is up is down. And so they asked people to wear these goggles and to go around and just try and conduct life as normal. And as you might imagine people are tripping and stumbling and falling because they're doing these exaggerated steps. And then they got everybody together and they said, All right, now we, what we want you to do is we want you to wear the goggles and we want you to paint what you see. We want you to paint what you see. And so they're, they're you know, dipping trying to dip the paint in there, the paintbrush in the paint, and they're doing these things, and then they take them off. And what it showed them was how incredibly distorted these goggles were were completely distorting their view of reality. And their their portraits, their painting, actually look probably close to what mine would look like normally, but they really suffered because the lens through which they saw reality was altered, it was changed. The lens through which we see our reality has to flow through justification through faith in Christ alone. If the lens of our reality in our Christian life flows through, in any sense, any other justification, justification through the keeping of the law, justification through being well-liked, justification through being a good dad, justification through being a good mom, justification through any other path, We're going to see ourselves and how God sees us distorted. Our actions are going to be distorted. And in truth, we are going to, Paul finishes, he says, we are going to nullify the grace of God. We're going to completely uh, absolve ourselves, rid ourselves of any benefit of God's grace. And that is at the heart of what Paul addresses today. We have to be right on justification." justification changes the way we parent justification changes the way we engage as church members justification changes the way that we relate to people when they fail us that we relate to people when we fail them justification is at the heart and center of what it means to be a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ would you follow along with me in Galatians two fifteen through 21 Paul continuing his response to Peter and says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live to Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of god for if righteousness were through the law then christ died for no purpose let me pray for us once again father i pray that you would make it abundantly clear to us in our hearts how justification is accomplished for us and god i pray that you would give to us such a clear picture of what it looks like to live a life justified through faith in Jesus Christ that we would recognize it when we are beginning to move and operate through some other sense of justification when we begin to find our approval in the opinions of others when we begin to find our approval in accomplishing our checklist when we begin to find approval in any other thing but through faith in Jesus Christ God that we would be arrested in our steps and so we pray for your spirit God, we pray for your spirit to be doing that work in our hearts this morning god we pray for the clarity of your word we pray for its power and its effectiveness to be visited upon us and we submit ourselves in this time to you for your glory and your honor and they all said amen amen listen if you look right back up on the section that paul was engaging with peter he kind of left off his argument in verse 14 essentially saying listen you're jewish right peter said yeah i'm jewish he said yeah but you don't live like a jewish person peter said well that's right he said well the dadgummit why in the world do you keep trying to make gentiles live like jewish people when you can't even do it peter probably said something along the lines of man that's a really good question i hadn't thought of it that way thank you and then paul just jumps right back into it and listen to what he says he said we ourselves pete you and me we ourselves are jews by birth and not gentile sinners now, he's not being pejorative. He's not being hateful. He's not just saying sinners. He's not doing that when he prefers the Gentiles this way. He's just using the language they were all familiar with. Right? So he says, Pete, you and I, we are Jews naturally. We, we didn't do anything exceptional in utero. It's not like we were in there and lifting heavy weights, grabbing the umbilical cord and just doing this number, and that's what made us Jewish. None of these things happened. We, by a process we did not engage in, were made Jews And we're not Gentile sinners. Peter says, I like where you're going. Paul says, okay, well, hold on a second. Yet we know, he says, this is true, but we know there's something distinctly different. And what is it we know, Peter? We know that a person is not justified. A person is not made right, holy, or righteous before God by the works of the law. He's calling and he's pulling and he's holding on to this thread and he wants to completely unravel the sweater that Peter's wearing that says, justified by works, justified by what I've done, justified by what people see in me. And he says, Peter, we recognize this. We know this. Even though we were born Jews, we are not justified by the works of the law. We're not. In fact, the works of the law and doing these things and and eating the right foods and not eating the wrong foods and keeping the ceremonies and keeping the rituals and being circumcised and all of these things, none of them justified us. None of them made God look down from his heavenly throne and say, there's my guy, there's Peter and there's Paul and they are justified because they've done the right things and they've done the right things for long enough. This was never going to get us there, Peter. Peter says, of course you're right. Paul says, but, but, but Peter, it is but through faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified. Do you notice what he says there? Jesus stands as this intermediary. Jesus stands as the one who is righteous. Jesus stand is, stands as the only one before God who is righteous. And it is us being found in him that makes us right. And in the midst of this, this should cause all of us to believe to breathe this collective sigh of relief because we feel the pressure coming off. And to the degree to which you don't feel the pressure coming off, to the degree to which you continue to feel like, yeah, but this is really on me. This is really on me to handle. This is really on me to do the right things. To the degree that you feel that way, you believe that it is justification through works and not actually justification through faith. Do You see what Paul's saying? Our birth status meant nothing. Our rigorous rule keeping and adhering to the law was accomplishing nothing. When we wanted to be justified before God, when we wanted to be reckoned as holy and right and righteous before God and sinless before God, that took Jesus. And that's not something we could do. So Paul's painting this picture, and he says, listen, we're in the midst of this, and we recognize that our dads are keeping the law, that our moms are keeping the law, that everybody around us in our community is keeping the law. And so we found ourselves on this road, and while we were in the midst of this road, we kept feeling like there was more we had to do and more we had to earn. And and the harder we worked and the more we went down this road, we realized this was the road to nowhere. But we looked over and we saw this man over here who had accomplished righteousness, who had lived righteously, who suffered and died. And when we looked at him, we recognized that we want to be righteous in him. And so what did they do? He says, recognizing that the law was never going to make us righteous, recognizing that Jesus was the only one who would ever make us righteous, what did we do? He says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus. There is something they have. They recognize their depravity. They recognize their sinfulness. If you think somehow you can make it into the camp with Jesus, walking down this road, being a good person, doing the right things, making good grades, being morally perfect, and saying, And Jesus, if you just come over and stamp your seal of approval on all the good things I'm already doing, it'll be good. If that's your understanding of what it means to be justified, of what it means to be made right, friends, you are still resting on your good works. What it means in the midst of this is I'm headed down this path. My dad says, you're doing a good job. My mom says, you're doing a good job. My teacher says, you're doing a good job. My employer says, you're doing a good job. Internally, I'm self-justified on my course of action and behavior, and I'm doing a good job. To be justified in Christ is to recognize that all of these things are empty. They are good. They are esteemed by our culture. But if you want to be found right, righteous, and holy before God, all of these things become ultimate distractions to keep you from Jesus, when you set them as ultimate. So what it takes is this conscious awareness. Works of the law. Being a good person is never going to get me there. Jesus is the only one who will ever get me there i am choosing to believe and to follow jesus says peter this is what we've done and why have we done this he goes on he says we've done this because we want to be justified by faith in christ not by the works of the law but because the works of the law no one will be justified do you notice the tense shift there in verse 16 in verse sixteen, he begins it and says, "We are not justified." And in the end, he dispels Peter of any notion, and he dispels all of us from any notion that there's ever some future reality where doing enough good things and being seen as a good enough person will make you justified. And this is the lie we believe. The lie we believe in the midst of failing. The lie we believe in the midst of backsliding is, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah. I just haven't got it all worked out yet. I can do better." I can do better and, 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 and I can just try harder and I can cut these things out of my life and I can add these things in my life and I can get more accountability and I can get all of this stuff worked out. And if I get all of this stuff worked out, there is some future reality, some future version of myself that will be justified because I can do this. He says, no. No. There's no past version of you there's no present version of you there's no future version of you that can justify yourself exhale and experience the freedom that god gives you in jesus he says don't try and head down a path you're never going to be able to accomplish on your own justification only ever happens it's only ever experienced in the person of jesus So, Peter, in the years you traveled with Jesus, and when you met with me in Jerusalem, in the two weeks we spent there, and you just kept telling me, Jesus did it. Man, I tried doing this on my own, and I couldn't. Jesus did it. Jesus told me I would deny him, and I said I never would, and Jesus restored me. Over and over and over again, Peter, those are indications not of how well you did. Those are indications of how gracious he was. He was justifying you. You were a wretch. You were wayward. You were headed in the wrong direction. Jesus kept pulling you back to himself and saying, have faith in me. I'm the justifier. I'm the justifier. So he says, listen, the works of the law, no one's ever going to be justified. Paul finds himself in 17 through 19 defeating the arguments of his accusers defeating the arguments of those who stepped in to these cities of Galatia and said listen this is what you need to do you need to be rigorous rule keepers You need to be circumcised you need to adhere to the Torah law and if you do this this plus Jesus will get you there so Paul's going to move down through and he's going to systematically address some of their arguments so Paul says first of all he says but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners? Is Christ it a servant of sin? And he responds, he says, certainly not. So what is Paul describing? Paul essentially says, Listen, you remember when we're headed down the good Torah path and we're remembering and we're memorizing the Ten Commandments and we're memorizing Genesis and we're memorizing Exodus, and we come to Leviticus. and We're like, no! But we're memorizing it too. Peter's like, Oh, man, I remember that. That was rough. Like, I'm running out of fingers and toes to remember things. I got all kinds of mnemonic devices. That's why I'm bald now. And Paul's like, yeah, all of those things. We're headed down that path and doing all of these things. But we recognized it was empty. We recognized we couldn't keep the law, right? Right? We recognize that we're struggling in our attitudes and in our actions and in our heart posture towards God because we felt like if we failed in any one of these things, he's just done with us. So we asked this question. Is your failure an indication that Christ is the one who's leading you to sin? Or is your failure an indication that the law was never going to justify. You see, because the accusation was, as long as we're on the straight and narrow, as long as we're doing the right things in our parlance, as long as you're coming to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights and tithing, mm, and doing all of these various things, as long as you're doing the right things with the right people in the right way, you're good. But what we recognize is that you can be doing the right things with the right people in the right way, and in the midst of this, God is opening up and exposing your heart and saying, your pride is sinful. You're not pursuing me because you love me. You're not justified because you have faith in Christ. You are trying to justify yourself through the opinions of others and having them look and say to you, you're the kind of person who goes on a mission trip. You're the kind of person who gives to a church. You're the kind of person who's found in a church on Sunday morning. And what God is graciously doing in the midst of this, now hear me in this. God is exposing your sin to you in your life because that's not what he has for you. I don't know if some of you have this friend who just they're the person who their glass is never uh, half empty but your glass always is and so they'll walk in and say hey uh man do you do you even know how to polish shoes your shoes are nasty looking or hey i heard you give this speech the other day or i heard this presentation the other day and i just think if you do this thing that i do it'd be so much better It'd be so much better, and in the midst of these things, this is is kind of what you need to do. Well, this person's pointing out bad things in you, probably, they're not a good friend to you, but probably to make them feel better about themselves. Jesus does not operate that way. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you are a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, he is pointing out, picking at, exposing sin in your heart to bring you closer to the Father. It's the gracious loving kindness of our god that he does not pull at the sins of our hearts and the threads of the sins of our hearts to unravel our lives he pulls at them because he recognizes that we cannot truly live a life fulfilling and settled in him while that sin thrives this is what our god does so paul says listen jesus isn't a servant of sin but jesus doesn't want us to be either So he's exposing the ways in which we live as servants of sin. He's exposing all the various ways that we are moving in these directions. One of the arguments they had against Paul was, Paul, listen, so you got this Jesus thing worked out, but what you really need to do is just ease the law back into it. He just handles this in the most direct way he possibly can. He says, listen, if I rebuild what I tore down, and I tore down the law, and if I rebuild it, and if I instill it in my life, and I set it there, and I find myself being a servant of it, then in the reality, what I am is a transgressor. You're asking me to sin by trusting in the law instead of trusting in Jesus, and I cannot do it. The great misfortune for too many of us is that we serve a set of principles of rules of guidelines i gotta wake up in the morning i gotta have my quiet time after i have my quiet time i gotta journal after i journal i gotta tell five people that i did that this morning because if i don't tell that five those five people i did that this morning it may not be real i gotta share the gospel at least three times this week if i don't hit three i'm gonna i'm gonna go through i'm gonna throw a gideon bible at somebody i'm gonna call that good enough In those times, what we find ourselves in, this is just kind of the ditch we go to over and over and over again. You're serving yourself and not serving Jesus. His Holy Spirit delights and desires to see you led in freedom, not see you led in rigorous rule-keeping, be it Christianized or Jewish-based. His Spirit will lead you to worship Him. His Spirit will lead you to divest yourself of sin if you are willing to be vulnerable and broken before Him. And that's what it takes. So Paul says, listen, I can't rebuild this old system that I tore down. Because if I do that, I'm not being faithful to follow Jesus, I'm being faithful to follow something else. The law can't be his master because the law is that thing which he died through. Look at verse 19. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, Paul said it somewhat differently in Romans 3 and verse 20. He says, for the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul, in, in the book of Romans, gives us this lengthy understanding that, listen, I didn't know what it was to sin until I read the law that says, do not covet, do not Uh, lust after. Do not steal. The law highlights our inability to keep the law. It highlights our waywardness. It highlights the sinfulness in my heart. So the law awakens us to the reality of the need for Jesus. It does not satisfy the need for Jesus. So Paul says, in essence, listen to this. I was engaged in rigorous rule keeping. I was headed down the good Torah path and then I recognized that I had to die to the law so that I might live To God. The law killed me. The law slayed me. But in its putting me to death, I recognized there was a possibility, and a reality, and an invitation to finally begin to live. And it didn't look like doing one of ten things. And it didn't look like doing one of twelve things. And it didn't look like a set of principles, what it looked like was complete and utter spirit-filled dependence upon Jesus. Waking up and recognizing the gift that he's given, fellowshipping with others and recognizing what the Spirit is doing when brothers and sisters in Christ get together, how he is building us into one family. So Paul moves into verse 20. And he gives us this picture of of, of really how all of these things have transpired within an image. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And so I I suppose in some sense the question becomes for us, what parts of you have been crucified with Christ? Paul's painting this picture for us. Paul asks us in some sense, He says, imagine the man upon the cross. Jesus is up there. But he's not up there alone. He's not up there as an accident. In fact, Paul says in the midst of this, in reality, this is what is happening. I was up there with him. And the reality is for everyone who is a Christian, there is a spiritual reality in which you were hanging there with Christ as well. So when he says i have been crucified with christ this action that took place before your birth continues to have impact over the course of your life so listen to this in the midst of our encounters of our pride in the midst of our encounters with our deceit in the midst of our encounters with our lust in the midst of our encounters in whatever way sin pops up its head with you there comes the possibility of being engaged in this reminder My lust was on the cross. My pride was on the cross. My selfishness was on the cross. And it's been crucified. And it's dead. And being dead, it holds no sway in my life. It holds no sway in my decisions. Why does he say? He says, because it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Over the course of your life, what you'll find, Christian, is that ever-increasing opportunities where you're headed down a path, and you're headed down this path in faithfulness of Jesus, your old self comes along and says, hey, don't worry about it. I got this from here, Bubba. I'm going to take care of you from here. And in those moments, what you're doing is you're taking down your old self from this cross, which was crucified, and you're putting it back on. And Jesus says, don't do that. Listen, the very life you're living today and tomorrow is in Christ. There is no need for you to pull back down vestiges of who you used to be and your sinfulness. And when we remind ourselves when we go through and we name those aspects of who we were before we came to know Jesus, we are aware and we are alerted to the schemes of the enemy. To be ignorant, to be unengaged, to be uncaring in the midst of these things is to set ourselves up for failure. The schemes of the enemy are to tell you, hey, don't worry about that, that was a long time ago. You don't need to give any thoughts to that. But when we go through and we name, this is on the cross and this is where it has been crucified. And even today and even right now, I find myself living this life in Jesus. We begin to see that Jesus is taking complete and total control of our lives. And in that we find freedom. Not in being enslaved to the law, but freedom into what Christ has called us to be. It's no longer I who live, Christ lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Maybe where you sit, maybe where you watch, the question rolling around in your mind is, am I really worth it? So I grew up in a house, my mom and dad didn't tell me I'm worth it, my mom left, my dad left. I grew up in a situation where I didn't have very many friends, and and over and over and over again, what people told me by their actions and their refusal to invest in me, I came away with this crystal clear understanding, I am not worth it. Paul meets your your feelings of self-worthlessness. And he tells you in the midst of these things. God did not send his son to die for you on your best day, headed towards your best future. God sent his son to die for you in the midst of your sinfulness, in the midst of your waywardness, in the midst of your uncaring. He says, he loved me and gave himself for me. And the same thing is true for every man, woman, and child in this room. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Jesus Christ didn't die for people who us in society say, this is a successful person and this is a person who is doing well. Jesus Christ died for sinners. So in the midst of your feelings of being worthless, recognize this. God sees your worth and he sees your value. And when you are tempted to say that you don't matter, that nobody cares for you, That your life is empty and your life is void you are speaking something which is a lie and you are believing something that comes out of the mouth of the deceiver and not the mouth of jesus christ he loved me he gave himself for me paul ends in verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see, at the heart of this, my tendency for almost everything is to encounter uh, verses like this, is to encounter some difficulty and begin to make a plan for how to overcome them. And my wife loves this about me. It's her favorite thing. It's funnier if you know her is probably an indication why there's so little laughter man i love to make lists and plans and purposes it drives me nuts to encounter a problem that can't be overcome with a great list first we do this next we do this then we head down this path and and then we're going to find ourselves being on the other side of it what does paul call us to in this Paul says, listen, we're not going to overcome our dependence on the law and head it down this direction by by doubling down. We're not going to come over these things by, by, by adding more of ourselves into this. What we need is a greater dependency upon grace. And grace is what he brings to the equation. Grace is what he brings to the table. He says, I do not, I will not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In the midst of our walk, we're going to find ourselves failing. We're going to find ourselves sinning. We're going to find ourselves leading other people astray. What does the rebound look like for you? What does the course correction look like for you? Is it working harder and more diligently? Or in the midst of these things, is it coming to this understanding My old self has been crucified upon the cross. I do not need to wear it. I do not need to bring it down and put it on me. I am fully alive in Christ. And I am sustained by the power of his grace. This is where he has us. This is the path that he has us on. And this is where we begin to find ourselves set free. I'm not who I was. I'm not beholden to the I'm not beholden to the things on the cross. He has set me free. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, you have set us free. We are justified, not on the works of the law, not in the opinions of others, but we are justified, made right, declared as righteous. Because of the good thing Jesus has accomplished for us in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. God, I pray that in these next moments and and throughout these next weeks, that you would be unraveling what that looks like in our hearts. All the various ways that we have sought to be self-justified. So God, would you remove those Obstacles from our lives. God, would you expose to our hearts your love? Would you apply it to us once again? And Father God, we pray for those within this room, within this hearing, who have yet to submit themselves to your Son Jesus. God, by every outward appearance, they have it together, they're doing well. Or in the midst of it, they're struggling, but they really don't think anybody cares or anybody's bothered. God, you come for the weak and enfeebled sinner, and you come for the self assured sinner. God, you come for us all. That in your love, you sent your Son to come and die, to take upon himself the penalty and the punishment for our sin, and to rise again so that we might be forgiven. And so, God, would you set those free from self justification? Would you set those free from trying to make themselves right? And would you establish their freedom through faith and trust in your good son, Jesus, and what he has accomplished for them. So God, we submit these things to you. And we ask you to continue to move and stir in our midst in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.